passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. We're live. It is Rewind to Dynamite. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hi, Hi Wei. John. Hello. Hi. I feel like we talk so much now. It just seems like <laughs> it's nonstop seeing you and talking to you. Uh, I'm so I, I don't feel we ever say goodbye. It's only uh, <laughs> talk to you soon. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know if we do, actually. I don't know if we actually say goodbye. We say goodbye to the audience, and then it's just like... <laughs> Like yeah. we don't talk, like we don't, we don't formally. Say I mean, goodbye. you disconnect. You got stuff to do. What am I going to say? Like, uh, call you up after and say, "Hey, so uh, what'd you think?" You know, you a nice good night. Would wouldn't be so bad. I'll I'll make a habit of that. I'm sorry. No, it's I okay. Will, uh, do not do that. You know what? You know what I've uh, really enjoyed of late is that I'm taking advantage of the do not disturb function on my phone that I mm. turn on now. I, I uh-huh. when I go, when I go to sleep, I just turn it on. I was having this issue where I was like the odd time you get like a text or something at like three in the morning or something, and it's sorry just, about that. No, it was oh, not you me. actually. Um, but yeah, it's just it's more of a mental thing that I put it on. It's like there is no way anyone can contact me, mm. and I just like the idea that I'm completely disconnected, even if it's just sleeping. I that's a great idea. Yeah, that's exactly probably what it was meant for. You know, we've gotten to the point now where, I mean, technology has to put these limits on just so that we can live a normal life. So, um, <laughs> I think what, I've outsmarted it. Between, between that and I, I've said for a long time, I've had Twitter off my phone. It's fantastic. I usually will not log on to Twitter until like, like a few hours into my day in the morning. You are taking control of a of these tools. I mean, it's exactly what what we should all be doing. So that's, that's great. What other strategies do you like? Is it just sleeping that you're using this do not disturb mode or, or are there other things you're doing where you use it? Yeah, but I, I could certainly see myself using it more just for when I'm not, uh, not working. If I'm out, like, why not? Why not just throw it on? It's like you, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about, you know, you get your phone, it, it like buzzes or something or it's ringing and your your attention is diverted. Even if you don't want to take the call or check the message, suddenly your your brain is going there. Like, what is the message? What if it's important? And that takes it away. Yeah, always, man. Well, um, that's that's great. I'm happy for you. So that's the long and short of uh, that's it. I'm gonna take off now. Bye, everyone. <laughs> You're gonna put "Do Not Disturb" on this podcast? Maybe, maybe one day I'll just put that up on the screen. Uh, okay, we will not be disturbed. Hey, um, uh, once again, I want to thank everybody. We I mentioned this on the uh, post news update, which we do, of course, every single 
weekday, one o'clock at youtube.com slash post wrestling. But I've been getting all of these Spotify wrapped little things where people, I mean, it's just great advertising for Spotify. Isn't I'm it? getting DMs from people showing me their, their stuff. They don't want to share it with the world. They're like, hey, uh, I, I listen to your show. Yeah, but like so many people just kind of letting us know that they've listened to us more than any other thing this particular year. So can't blame take, them. Take that, Justin Bieber. Take that, Drake. Yeah, I'm tired of these uh this uh this Tim Biebs promotion that's going on. Ugh. It looks like it's it's fantastic for Tim Hortons. I think this is like a massive undertaking for them. It seems like it's very successful. But my God, does it just feel like What's uh, something we can just attach ourselves to? It's uh, two things I've never put together, but here we are. Justin Bieber and Tim Hortons. Why not? I would say maybe the two most powerful Canadian entities outside of Drake, I suppose. Uh, you get Drake involved. Damn. Yeah, but you've not, you've not had a Tim Bieb yet? No. No, I have not. Me neither. I, I actually hear it's terrible. Pauline had some. It's no good. This is what she said. Oh, okay. Well, so. probably not for everybody, but it's... Uh, so is that such good promotion for either of them? You know, hey, like, my name's all over this. It sucks. <laughs> well, I guess if that's the prevailing opinion, then maybe maybe they will they will think this over. I think it's going to be a pretty successful strategy for Tim Hortons. I'm sure a year from now we're going to read some uh, McLean's deep dive article on how this changed the face of Tim Hortons when they latched onto Justin Bieber in a time of great, great need for the Tim Hortons chain. It's we are like definitely at the point now where I mean endorsements have gone into like celebrities and fast food. Cuz what is it? It's, it's the BTS burger that was huge. Um you know, Megan the Stallion, I think like Megan the Stallion got Popeyes. <laughs> so, well, there's something there for everybody, I suppose, and uh Popeyes was what was left. So, I mean, just Okay, whatever. Sure. What about um does Harvey's have anyone? Um who what celebrity would you pair with Harvey's? <laughs> <laughs> um not I wouldn't even say like a like a uh, cross cross country Canadian star. It would have to be someone more regional, like someone that's really known well in Burlington or fuck <laughs> oh, dude. Like who would get to, who would apply for Harvey's? Let me think, think about this. Like um, like maybe like a Christian Potenza, but who the fuck guy, is that? <laughs> who is that? guy that like you'd see on a commercial that you'd be like, oh, that guy, that's a guy in Canadian commercials. You don't know his name, but you recognize the face. Okay. Okay. L- look him up. I'm sure he'd be like, oh, that guy. <laughs> He's just in yeah. every like Canadian commercial for the last like 30 years. Sure. Why not? Um, I don't know. Like maybe I, I would pair, um, uh, Ron Sexsmith with um, <laughs> Mary Browns. <laughs> like, who are the celebrities applying for some? Like, there there probably aren't many places left uh, after this. But anyway, so yeah, uh, food and celebrity. What, what a perfect pairing. Well, uh, a perfect pairing for your daily uh, consumption is the post daily news update every day at one p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. We are going to have a very special edition of the show as myself and Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics and Post Wrestling, part of the the network of uh, the family here at Post Wrestling. Uh, the two of us will be going over our ballots for the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. The deadline's tomorrow, so the two of us are going to chat about 
our respective ballots, and we'll go over some of the more interesting candidates on this year's ballot. And if you listen really closely, if you turn your volume up, you might hear way like sniff in the background or 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 breathe. He's his presence is there. You just won't hear him. I was heating up a pizza as you guys were uh, talking. You were so. you were backstage. I was backstage, yeah, manning yes. the controls. But I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think everybody else will too. Who are some of the candidates this year, John? I mean, the big the big addition is Kazuchika Okada, and I think the only question is what what level of what percentage will he get? I think the the highest, the most recent one that was you know a real big benchmark was uh, Kenta Kobashi getting ninety eight percent in two thousand two. And I think Okada's is going to be very high. I, I I do imagine there are going to be some that will not vote for Okada, but to me, it's I don't know. It's it's a it's a no brainer. Um, hmm. so all right, there. So- I've spoiled one of my votes, but we will go over all of them uh, on Thursday. So that will be in place of the post daily news update. And then Thursday night, don't worry, don't fret. You'll get your waiting on Thursday night because Hawkeye episode three. Did you I'm watch? looking forward. Oh, I've um I. I looked up the the run times to confirm them last week. They are in fact fifty plus minute shows, so I'm I'm gonna get around to them. Uh, the Christmas theme is pulling at me, but I'm not. I, I'm I'm watching more TV now than I have in in years. I've got like three separate shows on the go. Yeah, you're still in the middle of Squid Game, from what I. Understand. I'm watching Squid Game. I'm watching Succession, and I'm watching Dexter: New Blood. Oh, okay. So you're. Playing I don't. I cannot. Play. I seriously cannot remember the last time I had three shows I was following all at once. These are Other big commitments, okay? Non-wrestling shows specifically, but yeah, yeah, they are absolutely. But they're they're you know we we need our escapes from from the everyday and 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 always having you know an hour or forty minute show to look forward to is is always wonderful. So I'll be breaking down episode three with W H Park and a very special guest, Eric Marcon. What? Oh yeah, hope everybody's on board with this Hawkeye train. Maybe John, you can ask him a little right? bit about the uh, the. Uh, Triller Triad slash Metallica concert he watched last Saturday. Okay, maybe I will. Maybe that'll organically come up in the conversation. I'm sure it will. From from Hawkeye to Lars Ulrich, I'm sure that transition will be made by a talented host such as yourself. Maybe I'll so, maybe I'll ask Eric what it's like to try to get Spider Man No Way Home tickets in Sudbury. Because uh, <laughs> I might have to drive to Sudbury to try to get tickets to this thing now. You know. Dude, so what's your what, what's your update? Where do you, I got tickets, but like okay. I, I ended up getting tickets for like this, like all the regular screenings were sold out, and you know all these theaters, they like to like do three D shit, this like four D that, so I ended up like buying. You, you, only, you just want the basic. You just want, want a normal viewing basic. experience. I wear glasses. I'm not gonna put three D glasses on top of my glasses and then just get a shitty image on top of that and pay five bucks more for it, right? So I like that's all I want. Like I tell WH, I can't do three D. I can't do it. Um, IMAX completely sold out. So the only thing I had left was this thing called Screen X. What? What? I just want to see a movie. What the fuck is Screen? Oh, th- this X, is when we've dude. officially become old. Like the letter X, that's like twenty. Like we, we were done with that twenty years ago. You're gonna put oh. X behind this? Like I don't know Screen what I paid X. for. I have no idea what I paid for, but I mean, it seemed like the best option I had, so that's what I got. Well, um, I'm going to watch it um, next April. Eventually, someday, maybe. Yeah, I mean, geez, at this point, like I, I hope the theaters stay open in time. Yeah, I I was thinking 
I was I didn't give it much thought, but I was like, oh, I'm sure there's going to be some like matinee shows that I could just sneak into a theater, not sneak into a theater, but you know what I mean, go when it's uh, not so busy. But this mm-hmm. thing seems like it's the most in demand ticket. The last thing I want to do is go back to a movie theater and I'm crowded in there with 300 people that. I'm sorry. I'm officially like a germaphobe now, and it's like I'll go to the movies. I'm I'm okay that about going to the movies, but I'm not going to a packed show. I'll go no, when I it's like it. no one wants to watch Spider Man anymore. All the spoilers are out. The trailers being talked about for the next one. That's when I'll go when there's two of us in the theater. I I mean you're just watching Squid Game now, so I think it it would be in line with with your viewing habits. But it's uh, you know they are testing or, or they are requiring proof of vaccination. I hope that they're very strict about actually checking, because um, if they aren't, that that would absolutely suck. But it's a risk everybody's willing to take. Well, on Friday night, we'll have Rewind to SmackDown at 11:15 Eastern, and then this weekend you can check out uh, both WrestleNomics on Sunday and up next we'll have the. NXT War Games post show. Brandon Davey will have you covered right after War Games to break down the NXT 2.0 special. So look out for all of that. And a watch along. Oh, God, they're doing a watch along too? Yeah. Crazy. So watch with them. Well, check that. All of that great stuff out up at postwrestling.com. We are not going to have like a new segment tomorrow. So just uh, a a few notes here before we get into Dynamite. Um, We have uh, the NXT numbers. They did 637,000 viewers, 195K in the 18 to 49 demo from Mr. Brandon Thurston and Showbuzz Daily. So they were up like uh, a small amount in those respective uh, figures. Uh, But their big jump was in both their 18 to 34 audience and, and 12 to 34 uh, were up a huge amount from last week. So they were going against the NBA and college basketball. They finished uh, 34th on among cable originals and doing 54,000 viewers in Canada. Uh, a bit of a jump in Canada as well for the go home show going into war games. So while it wasn't a, a huge, huge increase way in viewers or their 18 to 49 demo, there were like... Um, there were some of their audience uh, was up a bit, and I would say the only thing that might have uh, attracted people to this show were the promise of ladder matches, which I guess you can't get enough of. So it begs the question, um, ladders that are doused in lighter fluid and put on fire, could that be the magic touch that they need, ladders and fire? I certainly think so, yeah. Um, I mean, that would require you to announce the fire ahead of time, which... You know, I'm sure would have helped um, today's rating as well. Um, <laughs> surprise fire? I don't know so much. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it, it might concern people if WWE announced ahead of time that there would be a firing. Ooh. Nice. Ugh. Yeah. Well, let's move on. <laughs> um, so that was the NXT number. Um, Dana White has announced that him and his entire family uh, got covid they were in Maine last week for Thanksgiving, and Dana White noted that he is vaccinated, um, but coming down with COVID, and he enlisted the expertise of Joe Rogan for <laughs> a full recovery process. And that Are you is, shitting me? Is this a real story? Uh, no, this is completely real. Um, I'm going to read you the exact quote. He was on the Jim Rome podcast on uh, Wednesday and stated that, Uh, He lost his sense of smell and taste. And he said, I literally he he says that on he takes a cold plunge and steam every day. This is his ritual way. And when we when he got out of there, he could not smell the eucalyptus. 
and realized I've got no smell. So you know what this means. I literally got out of the steam, picked up my phone, and called Joe Rogan. He says that he he got tested, he tested positive, and Rogan told him to get the monoclonal antibodies in you as soon as possible. So I did. By noon, I had the antibodies in me, and then he told me to do an NAD drip. I did that, and he said that his smell, his, ta- his sense of smell uh, did come back. Then I took a dose of ivermectin yesterday, and then I did a vitamin drip, and then today I did another NAD drip. Could not feel better. Feel like a million bucks. I'm doing two-a-day workouts. By the way, for the next 10 days while I have COVID, I'm in quarantine. I got my smell and taste back in less than 24 hours. And he's hoping that he will test negative this week so that he can go to the fight night card this coming Saturday. Um, I feel it is my duty to alert people that the FDA has not approved the use of ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19. But obviously, people can make their own choices out there, as Dana White has. Not exactly a, um, a remedy that you're everyday um, COVID carrier can um, have the funds to secure such uh, such resources. But here we are. Get vaccinated, right. everybody. And uh, all our best to Dana White and his family. And that is the news as we go into a dynamite, which took place from the Gas South Arena in Duluth, Georgia. And right before the show, they announced the main event for Winter is Coming on December 15th with Brian Danielson challenging hangman page so we will have a two weeks until the big aew championship match yeah yeah uh a little bit surprising honestly i thought they would save it for battle of the belts but i mean um when you look at the schedule it it is quite a bit of a ways away and clearly they probably wanted to you know get a big number for this winter's coming show and what this is probably the biggest match you can do at the moment. And, you know, like the time between winters coming in battle of the belts, if they want to have page defend the championship on that show, there's still plenty of time to build another challenger. I think so. Like you have like three weeks between shows that you could do that, where uh, the winner of the 15th comes back and is on the battle of the belt show as well. So, uh, yeah, that will be in Garland, Texas. So uh, with all that said, the show began with Hangman Page coming out, and he was the first of kind of a, a rotating uh, third chair for the commentary with Jim Ross, of course, uh, taking time off. And Hangman Page was on commentary with Excalibur and Tony Schiavone for the first match, and it was noted that he was not allowed to physically get involved or else he would be uh, facing a heavy fine and consequences from Tony Khan so he was he was locked to this this chair as the opener saw Brian Danielson take on Alan Angels in the same building where Alan Angels graduated high school not many people can say that that they've both graduated from and wrestled on national tv in the same building yeah I mean this is a pretty big building to do a high school graduation in don't you think I mean I graduated graduated my high school in my high school like we didn't have a fancy party going to a stadium somewhere. Yeah, I did. I certainly, uh, I, I where I graduated from high school, I didn't look around and say, you know what, I'm going to come back here in 20 years and uh, do my 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 work in this in this area. You don't think you'll you'll ever have a wrestling match in Bray Buff? <laughs> no, no, not at the uh, the local church. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, interesting. Yeah, not, no, real, not just... really designed for for a ring. Um, huh. But he came out to a really nice response. Dark Order members were out with him, including Negative One. 
And they're chanting for Allen Angels at the beginning. And Danielson just playing to the crowd, getting booze. He chops Angels, goes for an arm bar. And then Angels gets his big uh, series of spots with a tope suicida, moonsault off the turnbuckle. Uh, and then Danielson runs into a standing Spanish fly with Allen Angels getting a two count. Uh, Angels then misses a moonsault press, Busaiku knee, but Danielson is not done yet. Stomps him down as the crowd is yelling no and waves, that's not enough either. And Hangman is getting very upset at Danielson showing this, this killer instinct. And he applies a knee bar that Angels submits from in six minutes and 10 seconds as Danielson flexes. He won't release the hold. It's uh, Husamar Paul Harris here. And I, I actually think it was a heel hook. Not a knee bar, but right. Uh, Excalibur called it a knee bar, but it, it did. It did look like a heel hook here. So we we got true Husamar Paul Harris here, mm-hmm. and uh, keeps holding on to it. Then finally lets go after Angels is tapping furiously, and I mean it was it was a nice little match. I wouldn't say it was anything spectacular, but it was. Uh, they went six minutes, six minutes and ten seconds. I think these these particular matches aren't supposed to be completely you know, um, exhausted to the point where you're looking at Allen Angels as, like, the standout. It's another obstacle on Daniel Brian Danielson's path to Hangman Page. It, it, it should not be somebody he, he should be having too much trouble with, but it should be enough to give you the impression that Allen Angels is very good, and this absolutely did. I thought his comebacks were tremendous here. You know, this this sort of babyface, hometown hero style is something that I think he is absolutely made for, uh, and they gave him the ball, and he more than delivered. But more importantly, these matches are meant to be showcases for Brian Danielson and his tremendous heel work that I think... literally. Exactly. <laughs> the turned heel <laughs> and turned some more heels in the match here. I, I think he's absolutely hitting his stride now. Um, when he gets to embrace being mean both in and out of the ring, he, to me, feels completely refreshed as a professional wrestler since coming to the company. And I really like this match in the opener. You know, I feel like last week, if that Colt match took place in the opener, I think that match would have come across a bit better. But. I, I mean, they had MJF and Punk, and that did tremendously in the ratings. So can't say that they they made a bad decision at all. But this week, I think you know, being first made Allen Angels feel like a huge star, and I thought uh, you know put a lot of good focus and elevation for the title program. Yeah, like simple, but what this match was designed to do, they they achieved that, and um, the heel hook was a nice ending to the match as well, just adding to the repertoire. Shivani's in the ring, and Danielson says it's hard to tell if he's ready for Hangman uh, based on who he's faced. If that's the best they've got, I just kicked Allen Angel's head in and snapped his MCL. And next week, he knows there's a Dark Order member from Long Island. And in two weeks, they're going to Dallas, the home of the Cowboys. And that is where he will take Paige's title. And he's going to prove that Hangman is a one-hit wonder. And that's not cowboy shit. That's coward shit. And Paige gets up from his seat, and he gets warned by John Silver that he's not allowed to touch Danielson tonight. But Silver does not have the same restrictions, and he runs down, and Danielson bails. The crowd boos as the man is evading John Silver. And then Danielson says, I will not share this ring with a joke. You and Paige are beneath me. And he reminds Paige what Tony Khan said, that he can't touch him or else he's suspended. And he gets right into Hangman's face on the ramp and threatens to slap Paige. 
but you jerks don't deserve to see that. And he walks off, not even allowing them to see a slap. It, it's a lot of fun to watch Brian, you know, play heel. Um, it's very different from like an MJF type of heel where, I mean, they're both, you know, he, types the types of heels where you actually just kind of like them a lot. But I think for, for Brian, it's a lot more, um, you know, it's less kind of like um, <laughs> off-putting line based <laughs> um, and more like, you know, just kind of playing traditional heel. And you just kind of love seeing this guy use all the tricks um, to, you know get get his reaction so i think he's doing great work you know they put some good setup for the silver match next week as well so yeah great segment miro is back very uh he he's in this uh like in front of this big white screen and he has been trying to figure out what to do his weakness literally separates his head from his heart i don't know if the neck has ever been described in that kind of a way Oh, what a poet. He is thanks God. A better poem than uh, Chris Benoit's oh, oh, Jesus Star Christ. 97. <laughs> I am what I am. Quote the Miro, nevermore. Miro, Miro on the wall. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, yeah, yeah, this was... Um, this was way Chris, better. This was significantly better. He thanks God for showing him the vision, but a line has been drawn. He was pushed out looking for love from his God, but now it is time to storm the gates of heaven. This is the word of the Redeemer. Now, I think he's challenging God. He's going to his hometown of heaven, and he's going to fight God. When When is AEW doing a show in heaven? Oh, it has to be Battle of the Belts. <laughs> Battle of the Belts in heaven. Yes. Does Russell takes have any uh, information on pre-sale yeah. for that? I don't know what the comps are going to be like. <laughs> There's a lot of business partners in heaven. Um, so, uh, yeah, this this could be a great feud for 2022. I still think Christmas Eve. You you call out you call out the Lord on the on the day of his. Well, if if we break this down in science, it's it's not really December 24th. But I think nonetheless, we can we can go with the uh, the accepted day of Christ. Well, sorry. When so? Okay, for real now. When when is AEW doing a show? Like, what what is they the, uh... they have they have an episode of Rampage on on Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. Yeah, that is. It's perfect. a taped show, obviously, but it is on Christmas Eve, which is going to be. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if this AEW audience like maybe it's going to do a much better number than I suspect because I look at New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve as just why even try? But uh, nothing would surprise me like this. This is an audience that we will see how dedicated they are to watch Rampage on either of those nights. But I, they sound like throwaway shows at best. Uh, I I can't see for either of them, either of those shows doing well. I mean, 10 o'clock on New Year's well, Eve. No, well, one you know what? Watching the wrestling. Remember that year in 99 when ECW fell on those same dates and they put out those big Mike Awesome Masato Tanaka matches. And I could certainly see Tony Khan not just like doing a layup for those shows uh, of trying mm-hmm. to do something more significant. But um, spoiler, everyone, we will not be doing shows those nights. So Rampage will happen. But uh, we'll have shows, but that's won't true. Be Rampage or SmackDown reviews. But if Miro's facing God, we might have to make uh, adjustments to our schedule. Okay. Lee Moriarty and CM Punk. They showed a highlight of Moriarty beating Nick Camaroto on Dark last week. And uh, Punk comes out in a Lars Fredrickson shirt. 
And before the match begins, MJF comes out to join commentary. And Excalibur says that uh, when MJF is running down Punk's performance last week, needing 11 minutes to beat QT, that Punk went into the match with a non-COVID respiratory issue. And then MJF says that CM stands for cooking meth. Mm Mm-hmm. Cooking meth punk. Uh, MJF, like the whole focus of his match was just how bad punk looks in the ring, how he's worn down, he's sad, and this is just a guy that is a shell of his former self. That's like the story that MJF is pushing. He's in his prime, and punk is way past his. I mean, I I found it a pretty refreshing, like, take for a heel on commentary. And this is this is something that like has been debated on by the fan base. You know, anytime like a, a veteran goes in there with somebody who is pretty much like an, on the undercard, and because in AEW we expect great matches. You know, no matter who's facing whom, and so Punk gives a lot to Moriarty and MJF. Rightfully, in kayfabe terms, calls it out. <laughs> this guy's taking forever to beat this this jobber. What's what's wrong Which, with him? I like the fact that Excalibur had that line to come back at him say because the line that he used was um, he's losing to a glorified rookie, and then Excalibur says that Lee Moriarty has probably had more matches than you. So at least it did not totally just throw Lee Moriarty under the bus here because he's not going to be the focus when all is said and done with this whole segment. So they at least had Excalibur kind of get a line in for Moriarty. Totally. It's it's absolutely up to the babyface commentator to, you know, actually provide a proper reason to convince the crowd that this was justified. Shivani, you know, also said like, well, Punk's had a far more active schedule than you, MJF. And of course, MJF, you know, cheats to win as well. Uh, it's also mentioned by MJF that next week is the Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal. And the final two, so we'll do the Battle Royal next week in Long Island, and the final two will meet the following week at Winter is Coming, and MJF says he is going to three-peat as the Dynamite Dozen Diamond Ring holder. Uh, Punk is, finally, is, that, is that what you would have done for MJF, like wrestling in his hometown? I or? think there's going to be a huge segment involving MJF. I would say beyond just the Battle Royal, because they have really set the table for him to be like the big conquering hero coming home to Long Island. So I think he's going to be a huge part of next week's show and uh, the Battle Royals part of it. But I, I would imagine the next chapter of him and Punk as well. So Punk finally comes back with a flying lariat after Lee is getting the better of him. Um, there's a reverse cross body out of the corner, which Moriarty reverses into a cross face. And then Punk slaps Lee and hits a top rope Hurricane Rana. He gets reversed. They trade covers. Punk lands a head kick. And then it's Lee with a lariat and spinning suplex for a big near fall. Punk then reverses, gets into the position for an inverted DDT, but then hoists him up onto the shoulders into the GTS, which the crowd really did pop for this unique setup for the move. And Punk pinned Moriarty in 10 minutes and 23 seconds. So uh, not quite 11 that he needed for QT Marshall. Uh, Not quite, no. It was a good match. Yeah, I thought they got to a level where Moriarty felt like he was special. You know, I felt like he left this match elevated and a bigger star because punk gave him so much here it was good i wouldn't say it was like a for me not a must-see match but i thought it was a good quality match i I thought moriarty looked good in this yeah i mean it wasn't um i I wouldn't say it got into like the level of spectacular or anything like that but uh, moriarty's like a really good talent and he he played the role really well here for a 
a match that really he was not the focus and so much of it was going to be on MJF's commentary on top of it. So MJF cuts off Punk's music and addresses PG Punk and says it takes balls to call yourself the best in the world when you struggle to beat the likes of QT Marshall and Lee Moriarty. The best thing that you are these days is trying to get into Britt Baker's pants and says that Punk looks confused like Britt would look if you got her into the bedroom. This was super uncomfortable, even like for me watching it, man. Oh my God. It's like, they're definitely anger inducing words when somebody starts questioning your, your, like your marriage and your commitment to your marriage. Like that's just brutal. Like I, I wanted this dude to slap him right then. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of a disconnect because you've got Brit as this heel and even compounding it is like she's in the very next backstage segment right after well, this and, promo. And Cole like, was, and, was up after this too. And, they, and they've so. got to like no sell at all. Like it doesn't even cross their mind. Like there's no even reaction from Baker nor – I mean Cole I can almost understand. It's like it's, it's known but it's not flaunted on the show that they're a couple. Yeah, um, it is. No, like I mean it's the reason why Cole is feuding with Tony. I guess so. Um, I, I thought it was less so with, with, with Cole, but you're right. You're right. It, uh, it does kind of like raise that part of it. Uh, Punk eventually gets the microphone and his comeback is insulting what MJF is wearing, that it looks like Larry David's pajamas and says that QT and Lee Moriarty are both better than MJF. And you know it. He stops him from uh, cutting him off and challenges his needle dick to enter the ring. The crowd does chant needle dick and MJF taking uh, taking a page from one Mike Mazanin on Monday. You want to see me take on CM Punk? Too bad. I mean, that's that's what Brian just did. Like, it's, it's in every heels playbook, isn't it's it? A, it's a go to punk. Need, he says that punk needs him more than he needs him. And you haven't had a spark to a flame like me since 2011. And I'm going to prove what a pro I am when I win the Battle Royal in the most magical place of Long Island, New York, in front of fans that I love and appreciate. And he says he will be bigger than Piper in Portland, Brett in Canada, all of it, and Punk in Chicago. And they will be chanting next week at the top of their lungs. And before we go to the closing promo, uh, or the closing line from MJF, it's that they have really set this up. Part of me was thinking, is is MJF trying to think at such a high level that if he cuts this promo of how this crowd is just going to love me, that he believes that they would not respond in that way next week? If he is, he's going to be mistaken because next week he is going to be completely cheered in that that arena. I I honestly can't tell. You know, I thought this week was like to me an, an interesting test to see how Cody would be treated in Atlanta. And I, it, you know, we'll go talk about it later, but it was definitely mixed. And I would say maybe more pro Cody than um, not, especially when he started to come out. Hard to say with MJF what it's going to be like in Long Island, which is, you know, probably a very different crowd from Atlanta and also against CM Punk. 
somebody who is universally loved, and I would say probably, yeah, more so than MJF, even within Long Island. There's no way this crowd is going to boo CM Punk. I mean, I can't say no way. You know, they could say something, but I also feel like MJF will, like, they will figure out a way to get him booed. I have if, to If he walks out and there's even half of the crowd booing him, then it really says something about how this AEW audience understands uh, their role in things because they have really set out the red carpet here for him to be get a hero's welcome next week. And I do suspect that's what happens. And I think for one week, it it could actually be a really interesting segment where it will be the first time Punk can maybe lean into more of like, like a heel persona, not go over the top with it, but he's in enemy territory and can kind of come at it from a different way than being needle dick guy possibly but i ultimately it has to be in line i think with the character that he's already built up up until this point and if he all of a sudden insulted long island i don't know if that would make so much sense um uh but you know i i have a feeling this is going to be a pretty cooperative crowd you know like new york is an area where they understand the concept especially an AEW audience they know exactly why they're here they like this company it's not like they really want to rebel against its storylines um, so I think they will do whatever, you know, the segment dictates that they should. I think it's very uh, clear that they are not going to fight the audience, whichever way they go. Sure. Yeah. But it, it does seem like they are very much setting it up for that kind of a response for MJF. And he ends it by saying that he heard Larry Punk's dog barking in the back. Don't bring that flea ridden, disgusting maggot of a dog around here anymore, because if you do. MJF is going to put Larry to sleep. Fuck. He threatened to murder a dog on live television. I I didn't think it was going to get worse than the Britt Baker um, accusation. And uh, it got worse, man. Uh, He threatened to kill his dog. Man, it was awful. God, it was awful. This man has no boundaries whatsoever. Um, So... I, you know, it, it's it's going to be impossible to follow up with what they did the, the week prior. Uh, you and I were discussing earlier today whether or not they would even talk to each other. And, and they did. They tried to at least give you a bit of a follow up with last week. And obviously it wasn't the same. It wasn't as good. The, the comebacks were clearly not as good, especially from Punk, who I, I don't think I felt very improvised, I have to say, on his part. Um, but. It, you know, this is, again, the hottest program in the company right now, and it did really well in the ratings, and we'll probably get a little bit of it every single week. Yeah, and it seems like they are going to rely on the, the talking for a lot of it. I mean, these are two of your your best talkers. Uh, at the same time, like, I don't want to see them do this week after week after week after week. Um, you're also, it, like, this on its own, I'm sure people would think would be a fine segment, but you're coming off last week. And it's going to be really hard to top that. Now, next week, I think all bets are off. I think you're going to have a very unique environment that it should be whatever they opt to do with these two. I imagine it's going to be one of the highlights of the program next week. Baker's with Shivani, along with Jamie Hayter and Rebel. And Baker's disgusted over having to face Riho last week. And Tony asks, where were you, Jamie, for the Friendsgiving celebration? And she explains she was busy having one of the best matches in the TBS tournament which Baker interjects, but you lost. And Hayter points out Baker lost to Thunder Rosa in one of her best matches. Baker then announces, we are all back on the same page, and Jamie Hayter will face Riho 
next Wednesday and to continue with the theme that they've been doing for several of the recent promos uh, when Baker does the DMD hater does not participate and just stares a, a hole into the camera. Yeah. So does Riho have the Tuttle shot now? Yes, she does. Okay. She I, I officially has it. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. No, this seems to continue, you know, Riho's build. I think she could definitely use a few more wins en route to uh, challenging for the title and it'll probably be used to further heat up this potential hater split. Adam Cole's out next. We think he's joining commentary. And then Orange Cassidy comes out, and they have a stare down. The Young Bucks sneak out. Cassidy turns around and goes to hit the Bucks with the light kicks. But then as he's turned his back to Cole, he gets low blowed. And then the Bucks are hitting him with their light super kicks before they do the real version. And as they set up for the BTE trigger, uh, they are stopped when Chuck Taylor and Wheeler Yuta come out with chairs didn't love this so much you know um i know orange cassidy's whole thing is like um the weak super kicks and having his opponents just kind of stand there inexplicably taking them um he kind of looked foolish turning his back on adam cole it was kind of silly just the fact that he came out here basically to be beaten up and and then like kneeling there forever for these buck super kicks i know i'm complaining about an orange cassidy spot that's you know not realistic to begin with but this just didn't work for me yeah, I, I didn't think this was uh, the best segment on the show by any stretch. Uh, Tony Nese previewed the TNT title match for Friday with Sammy Guevara, saying he doesn't deserve to be champion, and he's going after Sammy's ribs. Uh, Wardlow was out with Sean Spears to take on AC Adams, and this was interesting to watch. He just powerbombed this guy time after time, and with each successive powerbomb, the crowd got louder and louder before pinning him after four in a minute 29, and then Spears attacked this poor dude with chair shots. So it's just, uh, and I totally glossed over the involvement that when Punk, after the dog line, walked up to MJF on the ramp, it was Wardlow out to shield MJF. So it seems that uh, sideline Tony Khan's booking plan, we're going to get there eventually, and it looks like a Punk-Wardlow match uh, will happen first. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, as far as this segment, I mean, I think they they they're you know they they know exactly what they're doing with Wardlow. I think uh, the triple power bombs were a total babyface thing, and this was very much I think a very a babyface outing for Wardlow. While you had Spears continue to perhaps like they even had Spears come out at the end, and as he was hitting him with the with the chairs, it was almost like Wardlow was looking at him in disapproval. So they're continuing to tease that Wardlow may be somebody to eventually turn while they're still trying to build him for this punk match. It's it's interesting. Then there was a promo from Death Triangle. Well, it was Penta and Pac, and they announced that Pac is replacing Phoenix on Rampage due to an injury, and he cannot travel. So the two out of three falls match is not happening on Friday. Instead, it will be Penta and Pac against FTR without any titles on the line, nor is it going to be a two out of three falls match anymore. And... I guess we'll hopefully find out what Phoenix's uh, status is um, if this at all plays into uh, the show on Saturday in, in Mexico. Right. Yeah, this is very interesting. We we wondered why they were doing the same match or at least the same, you know, the same pairing two two days in a row. Uh, do we know where Phoenix is at the moment? I, I do not know. But they okay. said he couldn't travel. That was uh, hmm. how it was explained here. And they just blamed FTR for... The injury. All right. 
Uh, and and Pack Pack has an eye patch now from the Black Mist from Alistair Black. So it looks like uh, you know, Alistair Black has had his eye issues, and he's passing them along to Pack. We're going after eyes again. You know, it's a uh, it's the it's the body part of the twenty twenties. Um, <laughs> it kind of suits him, I have to say. This eye patch, like he sounds like a pirate anyway. <laughs> kind of looks like a pirate already. So I mean, the patch, I I think it works. Would you give him a sword? Sword after that? I don't know. No, Pirates too much. Have, yeah, a peg leg maybe. A hook. Hook. Okay. Give him literally. Give him a hook. Oh, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> then we're going to the real main event of the night: Sting and Darby Allen against Billy and Colton Gunn, with Austin Gunn in the corner. And uh, this was uh, Tony Schiavone's best introduction of Sting all year. Sting comes out, and him and Darby have matching face paint. This surprisingly worked for Sting. It, it was different face paint for either of them, right? Yeah, yeah. You had kind of like the black on the on the neck at, at the end of it. Um, you know, for dude, it's <laughs> this father son combo seems like a more natural father son than Ray and Dominic at times. Sometimes, sure. Okay, yeah, I can see that. This is a little uh, kind of Dexter Harrison as well. I notice. Sorry, yeah. what? They're dark passengers? No. Taz is on commentary for this, and Hobbs and Hook just, like, hovered over Taz. They just stood there. Billy tags in early, and he eyes Sting, who tags in, and we've got, like, this <laughs> this crowd's like, oh, my God, it's Sting and Billy Gunn finally in a ring together. Uh, they note that this is Sting's first match in Atlanta since 2007 when he was with TNA. Billy rolls to the floor, avoiding the splash, and then Darby is in, and Billy takes over, and, I mean, he just lifts this guy by the waist of his pants and just throws him around and sends him into their corner. They go through picture in picture. Some, somewhere during the commercial here, Darby gets cut on the top of his head, and then Colton applies the scorpion deathlock to Darby as Sting has to watch from the apron. Darby then rams Colton into Billy on the apron, makes the hot tag to Sting, who hits splashes to both guns. Billy goes to the floor, and there is a Scorpion deathlock onto Colton, uh, but Billy then distracts Aubrey, allowing uh, Austin to run in and, and nail Sting with a cheap shot. Allen takes out Austin with a tope suicida. There's a Famouser on Sting. And so Sting is laying there. And you are momentarily thinking, my God, is Colton Gunn going to pin Sting? But Sting kicks out. Darby then hits the most insane tope suicida onto Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn is so much bigger than this guy that when Darby hits him, he bounces off of Billy's body and like flips off. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was like a bird <laughs> running into like the windshield of a truck, and what would happen? Or like a baseball bouncing off of like you know the the fence. So he just rotates and just crashes on the floor, and then he returns, stunner to Colton into the Scorpion Death Drop. Sting pins Colton in ten oh five. The place goes nuts, and once again, Sting has the most remarkable streak of. Just well put together matches that always work for the crowd. And this to me was no exception. They've really figured out the Sting formula. You know, at, at age 60, is that what, what he is right now? 62. 
Okay, yeah, uh, and it's a it's it's really worked out. I mean, I think I think somebody should do a study on like wrestling at sixty and how like you know these companies have been trying to find ways of like creating bells and whistles to make people like Goldberg come across as the same people that, that they typically do. Um, but they found a good formula with staying in these Darby Allen matches. I, I I noticed that like you know it, it was kind of re- reliant on the heels here to to really slow the action down. I mean this for the most part wasn't very exciting of a match, uh, but it was methodical and really done to build to a Sting hot tag. You know that it was make, it. Wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to go super fast if you're gonna give your hot tag to Sting. And this crowd never let up. They were completely with this entire thing. They reacted huge when Sting came into the ring. Um, I thought everybody worked well to work around Sting's limitations. Yeah, and I mean they went nuts for the finish. I thought it, it like they structured it around Sting, and I think it 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 really worked. And I I don't know if I would have predicted this a year ago when Sting came in. Like we talked about it being a multi year deal. It's like what do you get out of Sting at this age? He has wrestled a lot more than I thought he would in year one, and I don't think they that he's by any means overstayed his welcome like he has found a role in this show that is not overbearing it's not above where he needs to be and he's not not also below where he needs to be he has a a clear role on this show that still works agreed yeah um and, and you know the man has worked hard himself you know like oh, dude I, I, this guy works incredibly hard you can see in these matches and probably mm-hmm. knows his limitations and probably has a hell of a recovery process after these matches um but Man, th- this guy goes very hard in these matches. This is not where it's just Darby bumping around for 95% of the match. He gets his tag and does the greatest hits. Like, he's he's in there for a lot more than you would anticipate a 62-year-old man would be doing. It's like one of those, like, do you ever watch restoration videos on, on YouTube, John? No way. Probably Enlighten know me. what I'm talking about. <laughs> People find these, like, old, like, N64s or, like, PlayStations or, like, computers, and they'll take them from, like, the scrapyard or something, and they'll just, like, do these masterful cleanup jobs on them, taking everything apart, like, cleaning everything, de-yellowing the, the, the white plastic, and they'll restore them into working order. And it feels like, you know, we have seen the YouTube restoration video of Sting over the past year and a half since he's been in this company, they are taking him apart and really just treating him in, in with the best care possible. And as such, they probably made a good amount of money off of him. Did this match warrant a mamacita? (laughs) People who have no idea, um, (laughs) what, uh, Starcade 97 entailed would have no idea. Dude, this Sting was so much better than 24-year-olds <laughs> oh 24 years ago, Sting. Far more successful This, ma- this match outing. blew away the match we just reviewed from Sting's quote-unquote prime. That is no joke, yeah. It made sense, first of all. There was no fucked-up fast count at the end of it, so, yeah, <laughs> completely. Marvez is with Chris Jericho. This this must have been taped last week because uh, Fozzie is on their, uh, their tour uh, over in Europe, and says on Rampage he did not come to Eddie Kingston's aid. He was out there to attack 2.0 and Daniel Garcia. And with that, 2.0 and Garcia attack Jericho, throw him into the garage door, and then Matt Lee levels him with a chair shot and leave him laying. And this is the explanation for why Chris Jericho will not be on Rampage on commentary this Friday. I thought it was like a pretty, like, simple way of getting Jericho out via backstage segment and like 
you and I question, well, like, why didn't they do this on Rampage? Or why did they, they do this, you know, on Dynamite? And I I actually think it's kind of brilliant that they just pre-recorded something last week, aired it on Dynamite, so that when Jericho, you know, misses action, he really won't miss more than one episode of Dynamite. The storyline's still fresh. That's right, yeah, because he should he's still on the tour next week, so I guess, like, he would be back. He could be back, I guess, for Winter's Coming. Mm-hmm. Taz then runs down how 25% of the Dynamite Dozen members of the Battle Royal are from Team Taz, and somehow this equates to them having a 125% chance of winning. Sure, yeah. Okay, Steiner math. Yeah, well, Leo Rush uh, played the accountant coming out here to assess these numbers and says, Taz, you're a commentator. It's literally your job to know me. And you should know that the odds have been stacked against me my entire career, just like you, Taz, and disagrees with his math because if it's a 100% chance of Team Taz winning, which, to be clear, he said 125% chance of winning. But anyway. What, does that make sense? No, it does not make sense. Um, so <laughs> he takes issue with this because your percentage would mean I have 0% chance of winning. And I'm a fighter, and the fans are behind me. And I didn't know if there was an issue with his microphone at the beginning here, but then he did start to get the crowd behind him by the end of this promo. I don't think it was a mic issue, dude. I think it was. Well, it was very hollow. It, it sounded very hollow, and it might have just been the crowd trying to hear him. And I think it was because the crowd needed to take out their calculators on their uh, phone this, to try to figure this. This did not work. Out. This, this was yeah. this was a poor like material that I they mean, had to I, work I don't with. know if it was like Scott Steiner night and they just wanted to like pay homage to him or, or something. Why? Why? I don't do. I don't think so. I think it was just maybe a promo that didn't connect so well. Yeah. Can I officially say I'm over the Steiner promo? Like it was very novel 15 years ago. It's hilarious. I, I don't need it on every television show. 15 years later uh, i think i think having braun do it with scott will, will be the final stamp like there there is still one thing left for that promo to accomplish so he won't go down without a fight even with a one percent chance in this battle royal so make of that of what you will um dante comes out and he's kind of playing peacemaker here but he aligns with ricky starks and team taz and you're kind of left with the idea here: is is Dante a uh, double agent here? Is he uh, is he undercover infiltrating Team Taz? Mm. It's a lot of um, story, like it's a lot of booking. Without, um, you know what? Th th this should have been a backstage segment. I don't think this worked in front of a crowd. I thought that this could have been a lot simpler in just a and shorter in the back. Possibly, yeah, definitely. But, you know, this whole Dante Martin signing with Team Taz thing, I, I suppose by design it, it's supposed to feel like it's out of nowhere and that he shocked everybody. I, I do think like a little bit of setup and a little bit of teasing, at least of like Dante, where Dante's allegiances were prior to it, would have probably eased everybody in a little bit more because as of, you know, the moment you're just, we have no idea why Dante Martin signed with Team Taz, what incentive he possibly would have had. Um, and we haven't heard from Dante. He hasn't spoken about it. So it's just a, at least a little bit confusing and not necessarily in a good way. Like, it's not mysterious and I want to know more. I, I, I do a little bit, but I, I don't think it's been that well put together. 
Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling congratulate Thunder Rosa, but she has no chance in the semifinals. They lay out a challenge for Rampage. It's been answered by Janae Kai, who is one of Thunder Rosa's students. And then Thunder Rosa walks in, noting she'll be replacing Jericho on commentary and then cuts a promo in Spanish as Cargill and Sterling take off. Mm -hmm. Chris Statlander, Ruby Soho, TBS tournament. Um, Taz started singing Ruby's theme to the ring. Yeah, I think he does that pretty often. He just, he, I mean, he he sings the themes. It's it's pretty funny. Statlander did the boop on Ruby Soho, and they called it a head game, noting it does not really hurt. Yeah, which is noted. Uh, so this turned into a pretty nice match between these two. Chris did a handstand out of a monkey flip attempt. They go through the break. Uh, Chris hit her with a blue thunder bomb for a two count, and then turned a spider crab, lifted Ruby, and hit a buckle bomb, followed by a fisherman buster. Soho kicks out. Ruby ends up on her shoulders and turns it into a poison Rana and then hits another Rana with Statlander on her knees. And this was the big near fall. And, you know, sometimes it's it's it works really well. But the I'm so shocked that you kicked out of this move face Sometimes it can be too much. This was that times 10. Ruby was like shaking and going into convulsions that she kicked out of a Rana spot. And it was too much. It was too much. This was 125% um, shock face here <laughs> yes. from Ruby Soho. She completely overacted um, with this spot. Um, it it kind of made it pretty comical. Like it, this was a jiffable, like bulging eye type of type of reaction. Yeah. This yeah, was very, non, yeah. So she's stunned. The crowd is is with them. They're chanting AEW, and Statlander recovers, going for the Big Bang Theory, and it's countered with a roll up with Soho ca- catching her in ten minutes and twenty seven seconds. Uh, a nice match between them. I, I don't know much to complain about it. Um, maybe a, a little more subtlety to the uh, reaction shot. Um, a fine match. I, I did not think it reached the level of uh, last week's match, which I thought was a a real stellar one that. Uh, with Jamie Hader, I agree. You know, um, they were promoting this one a whole lot, so expectations I think going in were a lot higher, and therefore, I, 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 I have to agree that I don't know if it necessarily met maybe some of the higher standard that this tournament has produced thus far. They managed to create, I think, a very hard-fought victory for Ruby. This crowd seemed really connected with the match, so those are all positives. I personally wonder if it was the commercial break that kind of took away from the experience for me. Um, it, you know, the match looked good, but I w- again, I wouldn't really say it was to the, to the level of some of the other standout matches in the tournament thus far. And Ruby offers her hand. They end up hugging and they put over that it will be Ruby and Nyla Rose in the next round, along with Jade and Thunder Rosa as the final four. And as Statlander is walking up the ramp by herself, Vicky Guerrero comes out to confront her. And it leads to Nyla Rose storming the ring and attacking Ruby while she's celebrating. And then Statlander returns to chase Nyla away uh, and coming to Ruby Soho's aid. Rampage on Friday night. Uh, the new lineup, it's Guevara and Tony Nese, Pac and Penta against FTR, straight tag match, and Jade Cargill against Janae Kai. And announced for next Wednesday on Long Island, Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal, Jamie Hayter against Riho, and Brian Danielson against John Silver. So obviously more matches to come for next Wednesday's Dynamite. And we had some celebrities in the houseway. T-Pain. Huge. T-Pain was here for the Atlanta Street Fight. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, they explained this was the tie-in for um, what is it? The Go Big Show. Go Big Show. Yeah. Yep. So TP making making the trip. Who else is left on that team? We've had Rosario Dawson. That's right. Um, Snoop's not on this season, right? He was on the first season, wasn't oh, he? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if they mentioned. Not sure. I mean, I mean, he had the big theme and uh, had the the famous frog splash. So he he's there. had his he's had his involvement. So everybody's made the rounds. All right. Uh, we haven't got Burt Kreischer yet. Oh, okay. They did mention him. I think so. Yeah. Well, is this he, street is fight he, is he popular enough to to like? He should cut a promo. Sure, that'd be great. He'd probably do like a stunt or something if they asked him. Like, wow. uh, hey. Do you think he'll go this. through a flaming table? Maybe. He might. Okay. He'd probably want to... He'd want to protect himself. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We'll get into that. So, <laughs> Andrade... Yeah, th- there there was a lot. Th- this was a very... This is a match that I might recommend to people that say... You know, if if you're coming home at night and it's like 3 in the morning and you're drunk, this might be the perfect match to put on for you and your friends. Like, I think this match has everything for that type of individual in that state of mind or lack thereof. It's the burrito boys of, of wrestling matches. Totally. It's something that you're thinking in the moment would be great that you'll pay for later. Um, but it's got everything. So Andrade storms out to the ring. He's wearing a dress shirt. And my God, he is sweating through this thing just on the way to the ring. Andrade... Uh, Cody and Arn walk out on the ramp and Andrade runs up the ramp to go after Cody. Meanwhile, Jose, the interpreter, runs up and Arn Anderson slips and falls off the stage. This is right when the match begins and Jose is just like, gotta help this poor guy. So he puts his arm out to help Arn and gets him up and then starts delivering blows to Arn Anderson. But um seemed like Arn was okay. But, man, this is the, the second fall we've seen this guy have in not too uh, distant memory because he had mm. the, the slip off of the apron not too long ago. And, mm. I mean, he came back later and was doing, like, physical stuff with Jose. But this was, man, you were certainly concerned for him here. Like, he just – it just seemed like he lost his footing or his balance or something. And thank God it wasn't a, lo- a – higher fall yeah no honestly we have to remind ourselves that um you know the the, these are performers who are aren't necessarily um in their prime anymore and maybe uh maybe arn should you know um be a bit more careful about where he's stepping man yeah it's scary yeah the like the physicality is something that i mean you are you are tempting fate when you're talking about like people in their 60s doing this. I know we talked about Sting, but like this is, you know, not these are guys that are, Yeah, not it's Sting is becoming this anomaly. Um so anyway, the match uh resumes as they fight into the crowd and Cody does a backflip off the railing and T-Pain hands him a chair to use, but no one is paying attention to the brawl. No one's atten- paying attention to T-Pain or the chair. Everyone's eyes are fixated on Cody's back and figuring out what the hell is on his back. And it seriously, if you did not see this, the best description would be imagine some dude fell asleep on the beach for like a week and got sunburnt 
And this is the final effects of it where his whole back is peeling. That's what it looked like. It's like, what is going on with this back? Now, by the end of the match, it kind of uh, made yeah, answer. Yeah. It made more sense. But this was the focus of every internet detective trying to figure out what was going on with his back. No, yeah, absolutely. It was completely distracting and, and it had my attention <laughs> throughout the better portion of this match trying to figure out, like, since when did Cody have this dry skin problem? How did it get so bad? Um, you know, like the announcers eventually caught on. They were asking what the hell is on Cody's back. Taz wondering, oh, maybe uh, <laughs> that when he got hit with that trash can, maybe somebody was drinking a bottle of glue. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said? That's what he said. That was the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Maybe someone was drinking a bottle of glue. <laughs> How did I miss he that? Said that? Oh, it was no, great. Taz but... is the best. Taz is my favorite. <laughs> the thing is, like, he goes over. He uses the chair from T Pain. Then he goes to hug T Pain. So T Pain like, had like, I don't, don't want to touch this. You he... might have some. Some transmittable disease here. T-Pain had a handful of this dry skin on on the dude's back. So T-Pain probably figured out what exactly what it was before all of us. Oh, man. Boy, man. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty heavy crowd in favor of Cody during the brawl. And as they get into the ring, it seems like the crowd is aware that the the mixed reaction has kind of now become the presentation for Cody, and it's it's more of that mixed reaction. And he takes off the weight belt, and it's kind of this moment. Like, do we want him to throw the weight belt or not? Andrade then low blows him. He takes the belt, whips Cody, and throws the weight belt into the into the crowd. And this crowd is going nuts. Like, this belt spot is... Depending on your like, it totally takes your you completely away from the match because the crowd is only focused on the fan to throw this thing back, and this fan wanted to keep it, so they booed the fan for not throwing it back. This fan was the biggest heel in the building for not throwing this belt back and probably putting it on an eBay or something. Yeah, uh, I found it really interesting that it was Andrade who threw it, and I wonder what the thinking was behind that. Did Were they thinking possibly that, okay, instead of Cody throwing it, let's get Andrade to throw it. And if the fan actually throws it back, then we can explain that, oh, the fan's rebelling against Andrade and wants to return the belt back to Cody. So it means they like Cody. I don't know. I, it makes me wonder like what the thinking was. By doing uh, it's, that. You know, so much of these matches, we focus on Cody and... Now, obviously a reaction that they are going for, but it does put, especially when he's working with like such a defined heel in Andrade, like that puts Andrade in a tough spot because I don't want to be the watered down heel and I don't want any kind of babyface reaction just by being opposite Cody. So it's it's kind of tricky when you're when you're Andrade and looking at, at your perspective of this, like this is this is great. This is Cody's desired reaction. It's not mine for this match. I want to be the villain in this. So then we get into the weapons. Andrade uses a laptop. Look to be a PC. Completely uh, disposable. I mean, either that or, or a, a MacBook that's run out of Apple Care. So probably too expensive to replace anyway. Andrade then goes to pull out a table. The crowd gets excited. So he puts the table back underneath the ring. And the crowd is just going nuts, chanting for tables. And Andrade shakes his head. No, no tables. 
Uh, he hit this beautiful split-legged moonsault to Cody with a chair on top of him. I thought Andrade was really great in in this match. Um, they were both, pick- honestly, they were both great. It's B- just, both, I, I both was worked so really distracted well. by the damn dried skin that like, was, I couldn't appreciate it fully. There was a lot of divided attention. Uh, during the picture-in-picture, picture, Arn and Jose return, and they battle on the ramp. Uh, and this is when I saw a lot of people uh, who rely on Fight TV. Uh, the stream went down with like 15 minutes left. And it's I and I don't know if it ever came back or not, but it, there were streaming issues for those on fight. Unfortunately, uh, Cody used a chain, Tope Suicida, which Shivani uh, uh, complained, saying that he wasted too much time because Andrade nailed him with a chair when he finally flew to the floor. Uh, Cody stopped the hammerlock DDT on the floor and goes underneath the ring. He pulls out a kendo stick. Nope. Then he pulls out a sledgehammer throws that away and then finally carrot top pulls out the golden shovel and jose who's looking jacked without a shirt on runs down and jose comes out and i'm like who who is this monster that AEW is debuting right now it's the interpreter <laughs> this interpreter is bigger than cody or andrade like who whose idea was it for him to take a shirt off like he, this man probably his <laughs> probably yeah uh, so Jose runs down and just gets nailed with this shovel. Uh, Andrade scales to the top. hits a big high cross to the floor. And then the double knees to Cody in the corner with a chair inside the ring. And Cody's back is somewhat like getting clearer. But as they go in closer, you can still see the peeling and stuff. It's just, it's just the most remarkable uh, observation. He gets hip tossed in the corner and then... There's another table where Cody gets placed on it. Uh, Andrade climbs to the top. Cody gets up, crotches Andrade when a mysterious figure enters the ring and takes off and reveals it's Brandy. Brandy is in the ring. And as Cody has control of Andrade, Brandy puts lighter fluid all over the table. And then it's Cody with an inverted superplex off the top where... He pretty much protects Andrade away from the flames. Not completely, but Cody, with like his bare chest, goes through this flaming table. Bareback. Bareback, I should say, yes. And there um, is the ending, as he pins Andrade in 1927, and it would appear that he had some kind of, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, some kind of protective uh, gel gel or covering uh, to limit the burns um because this okay. was utterly insane to think up and want to take so so yes he had the gel but the man was still on fire as he went to cover andrade and then bits of fire yep. fell onto andrade's chest from the dude's shoulder never in my life have i seen i've seen a lot of wrestling i've seen a lot of wrestling from different worlds i've seen a lot of very extreme wrestling i've never seen a man go for a cover while he was on fire this was crazy okay and not something i expected at all for this tv edition of aew dynamite it definitely hit the border of like what i felt comfortable with watching like i didn't think it was necessary for the story um, I don't know if I enjoyed it, like seeing a man like take this level of crazy risk. Yes, I, I don't like fire. Fire is not my thing in, in wrestling and people might go crazy over it and it's shocking. It's a visual spectacle, but it, it's certainly not my thing. Yeah. I'm, and then, there's like, just too much that can go wrong. And this to me just seemed like um, 
it feel very disconnected from it just seemed like we came up with this idea so let's go with it and that's fine like it was received very well cody wanted a big performance in atlanta i understand but it's like um for 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 one thing, I think most of what people will be talking about after this, it, yes, it'll be the flaming table spot, but it'll also be the the weirdness of the dry skin that lasted throughout it. That's going to be the legacy of this match. Um, but they couldn't have predicted that, right? Secondly, though, it's like, what is the intended reaction that you think he's going for here? Like, like he is. This is completely like, it's a babyface spot, right? So. Are we still? It's it's a babyface spot he can defend as this crowd continues to to continually boo him, and I have literally put my body through fire for you, and you still won't take me. But in storyline, he's, he's he's supposed. This is supposed to be damaging to his opponent. But you're right. Okay, he could. But I I I don't think he's even thinking about it that deeply. I think Cody just wants a spectacular ending to you know a, a match in Atlanta. But does it like how does it fit into the current story though? And 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 I'm just trying to understand exactly the type of reaction that Cody, this Cody character, is trying to elicit from the crowd. Is it this mixed tweener reaction? Or is it a straight-up babyface reaction he's looking for? Or does he not really consider it at all and just wants to have you know great a great match people will be talking about? I, I think that you could honestly argue that all sides of this equation may significantly overthink all of this. And I'm including fans, observers, and those directly involved. That the reaction I think that you want is the 19 minutes you had of this, where this crowd went nuts. For the entire duration of this. And no one cares what, who they're cheering, who they're booing. It's it's a spectacle when Cody is out there for one of these matches. And it's, we'll throw in sledgehammers. And we'll throw in fire. And we'll throw in T-Pain. It's like all these weird parts that we just <laughs> throw against the wall. And maybe they won't all stick. But everyone's watching and everyone's making noise. And it sounds like it's the most incredible display and that's what you got. Like this was insane for 20 minutes, and I, I like I thought it was like an entertaining street fight, but mm-hmm. it just had like every bell whistle imaginable. But it worked. Like at the end of it, that's all you have to really look at. Did this work for this audience? They were they were completely captured in this street fight for the last 20 25 minutes of the show. Yes, absolutely. It was, um, it was, uh, I mean, both men worked incredibly hard, first of all, took a great deal of damage throughout it. So I hope really they're both okay. Um, but yeah, afterwards, I'm, I'm, I would have to say this crowd probably really got their money's worth. So that, that was successful. But man, if you're going to take this level of risk, though, should you not at least promote it? Be able, like, should you not, like, try to maximize it by saying, hey, like, I'm going to burn you burning, tonight. Burning tables match. Like, why not promote that? Yeah, I would I would venture to guess no one thought you were going to get fire uh, in this. And I I certainly think that it's... I, I also don't think, like, this this feud with Andrade and Cody reached that level that you yeah. had to go, to go to this. Yeah, what did poor Andrade like Cody, do Like, Cody thing? and Malachi Black, this would actually make more sense for than Andrade and Cody. I suppose, yeah, the bigger story at large is what, like, Black saying that he's he's driven Cody so mad that he's reaching to the depths of, like, using fire to beat his p- opponents. Um, I, yeah, I suppose that does make sense, given the the overall story. But, man, like, poor Andrade. Like, he's only he only insulted him a few times. Well, he got a he got a spectacular main event out of it. Uh, 
This was an episode that I I certainly saw like a lot of criticism for the episode, and I don't think this was a show without its faults. I thought that there was uh, several segments that that didn't land very well, and I would say for the wrestling on the show, um, like I I really enjoyed how how Sting was, was utilized. Um, I I thought that match ended up working really well, and everything else on the show I think was either fine, and in the case of the street fight, like I, I thought the street fight was pretty great. Um, overall, but uh, mm-hmm. th- there was like some wrestling that was just it was at the AEW average, which I think most in a vacuum, it's still it's still enjoyable wrestling. Uh, but also, I-, I wouldn't say went above and beyond maybe where your expectations were. Yeah, an AEW average, I would say, is a pretty high average. And and, you know, on this show felt hit that AEW average. I would say there were a lot of overall it was a very entertaining show, but I don't think there was anything necessarily stand out about it. And we're so used to talking about standout segments from these shows now that just an average show to some might actually feel skippable. But it was still very enjoyable. And I think on paper maybe higher expectations going into this one given, you know, the fact that you had both Punk and Brian wrestling. Uh you had absolutely an Andrade Cody match that completely delivered but um you know are we coming out of the show maybe with the same level of buzz as last week for me no not necessarily but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good show yeah no i i thought the street fight like was spectacular for what you would get on on free television like it was um i, I would not say i was expecting to get this this level of um just insanity that they threw into this one so curious to hear everyone's feedback on tonight's show so let us go go on over to forum.postwrestling.com our first bit of feedback is from MJ. He says, the feedback on the main event only. What is italicized was typed before the match ended as I wanted to capture how I felt in real time watching this 20-minute main event. Uh, this is overbooked, sloppy, lacking any story, and self-indulgent crap that is either super meta storytelling by Cody to be heel by being everything I don't want to see in AW or unintentionally third hour of Raw level cringe that has me checked out. Now, after the finish, I ask, was there a flaming table at the end of a plunder match with no real story or heat between Andrade and Cody? Just give away, just give away that stunt in a meaningless match. Okay, I think he's being critical of the flaming table spot. And MJ, I appreciate the 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 the, yeah. the different attempt at it, but it it does not read well, unfortunately. For yeah, uh, I think you put more thought feedback. than Cody did into uh, some of his matches with this uh, feedback uh, style. But uh, nonetheless, I think yeah. he's criticizing what, what we brought up, like the flaming table, like that was uh, very excessive. And in the moment, it's going to be received very well. It's a tremendous visual stunt, but it is also something that. Um, might not have just been needed for this match between these two, but I mean, it was, it, it was a hell of a highlight that you now have in your uh, packages for Cody. We got an Andrew from Cape Breton who says, so dynamite started up pretty good. Great match between Daniels and angels, but then it took a bit of a turn. I assumed the punk Moriarty match was going to be a launching pack for Moriarty. And if you were in the crowd, you would probably believe that, but MJF practically killed him killed Moriarty while trying to take shots at Punk. It seemed that Excalibur and Tony were working overtime to try and put the match over. It was also strange that they just had Adam Cole walk out and join commentary for a weird segment. Dynamite doesn't typically seem that disorganized. And of course, the main event. From Arn falling off the ramp to Jose winning the Scott Putzky Award to Cody's skin falling off and Cody landing on a flaming table set by his wife. <laughs> yeah, that Can was you imagine just thing. hearing that, that paragraph and you didn't watch this show? 
and that was all one match, dude. (laughs) But okay, that is the other thing too. It's like, I mean, okay, in storyline, we all know. Maybe this was part of the criticism: the fact that Cody landed on the table, like he took the brunt of that, and it was his wife that that set it up. So I think you could definitely criticize the spot for not working because it, like, Cody took most of the damage. Anyway, continuing the feedback here, it seemed like it was something that looked good on paper but was poor in execution. I'm also fine with some WWE references here and there, but I'm getting voodoo kin mafia vibes with Cody's love of the pedigree sledgehammers and golden shovels. Hopefully he doesn't call out Lebec and Hickenbottom to meet at the Alamo. Yeah, uh, I, I could have done without the, the, the shovel and the sledgehammer. It just feels kind of, uh, I don't know. It just, I, I don't think it really lands with people to the same degree. It might've like it two years a, ago. It gets when, a reaction in the moment. I think it's more fleeting now um, that, than it was when he did the, you know, with the Dustin match and you came out. It's like that guy, huge pop. And I think now it's, um, I don't know, it, ju- it just feels kind of dated, maybe because we've moved on from NXT and it, it, it just almost feels like it's it's um, just not up to date kind of with your fan base. I, ju- I feel like if there was like a more direct storyline that directly references accusations of Cody being Triple H, I think it might work, work a bit better, you know, but that's been my particular criticism about this whole thing is like it, it feels very kind of loose. Um, and if you want to read it as, you know, this this kind of pseudo Cody being Triple H narrative, you can read it as that. But I also don't think it's clear enough that I'm, I'm even convinced that that's where it's going. So... Anyway, uh, it's, it continues to be one of the most talked about things about AEW. Johnny writes, uh, Danielson and Allen was great and continues the path to Hangman. Lee Moriarty shined in his match with Punk and Ruby Statlander was really great. The only thing that I can complain on this episode is Cor- Cody's story. Match was sloppy, but I'm confused as to what is Cody's arc. Is the end goal to turn heel? If he does, isn't that what the crowd wants and isn't going to generate booze when it happens, but instead cheers? Also, Brandy returns and giving off heelish vibes despite Cody trying to be a face. It just feels like they are either overthinking this story or feels aimless. What do you think about the TNT specials going forward? Do you see Fighter Fest, Winter is Coming, Fight for the Fallen being the names for the TNT specials going forward, or all the specials being named Battle of the Belts? It's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing this year Winter is Coming. I mean, is strictly a TNT special or Dynamite special, and they're still going to need like big dynamites to build yep. build towards outside of these, you know, TNT specials. So, will they continue to name all of them Battle of the Belts? Something tells me that they'll be a bit more creative than that. You know, I, eventually you start wearing out the name Battle of the Belt, and it doesn't mean so much anymore. I think having one particular show a year makes it feel a bit more special. But the concept of like championships always being defended on these TNT specials. I like it. It makes sense to me. And, and as well, like how much of your audience are like, you're going to build these specials up, but it's like, it's getting them to tune in on a Saturday night. And like, is, are you going to get that, that, that appreciable increase in your audience for specials when you have your two shows a week? Like remember when WWE brought back Saturday night's main event. And if you were a kid in the eighties, those were huge shows. But by 2006, like you got name versus name on raw on SmackDown and Saturday night's main event. It didn't mean anything. And they did not last for uh, too much longer after they reintroduced them. Uh, Now I'm not saying that they're going to be that case here, but it's, you know, you, 
you get big matches on TV every single week. And we know like what Dynamite does when it moves to Saturday night. So like I, I don't look at it as like the slam dunk that you're going to attract this gigantic audience for these Saturday night specials as well. And that kind of dictates as well. What, how how much do we put into these specials when we have so many other shows to fill and pay-per-views and where those kind of fit in the pecking order? Well, I have to think for this first one, they're going to try to put every effort into it, you know, to make it. Well, feel I think like you're going to have the major championships, I, I think for sure. Yeah. But but beyond just, you know, a defense, I, I think it needs to be a match that you know, is just below pay-per-view worthy. Like something that is worth somebody to take the time. Oh, I'd go so far as to expect like a pay-per-view worthy main event for that first show. Which is why I was surprised that like they would do Paige and and Brian, because that to me is like, you know, among the biggest matches you can do right now. Um, And something that I thought was, was almost too big for a dynamite, but we'll see what they had planned. We got a Brian from New Jersey who says, I thought they went above and beyond in the main event, though I get some of the booking concern with the, within the feedback thread. At least by the end of the match, I learned what was on Cody's back was some flame-retardant material. It distracted me all match, but I'm glad he had it on because he took most of that flaming table spot. My big highlights of the show were early on, with the continuation of the Paige Danielson story, Danielson Angels, Punk Moriarty, and more MJF trash talk, although the Britt Baker talk seemed odd, seemingly solely based off of an after-the-show bit last week where Punk came out in Baker's jacket. Uh, okay. I didn't even realize that. I mean, I took it more to mean like, you know, I mean, he's brought her up in promos, including last week. So, I mean, I I think people at least know that like punk has, you know, is a fan of Britt Baker. Uh, you at least have that. I, but, but I'm with Brian. Like I, I I didn't really need that, that line in there. I don't think it really works, but more so for me, because it it makes Baker look bad without addressing it. And I think it makes Cole look kind of bad without addressing it. Uh, Chris from Melbourne writes in, that was a wild, weird episode of Dynamite, but I'm all for it. Darby looked like he landed terribly on his first dive outside, and the whole head of blood visible on the second dive confirmed it. Disappointed that Statlander isn't progressing further in this tournament, but I'm blown away at how great the matches have been so far. Bring on the semifinals. My Fight TV uh, feed cut out with 15 minutes to go, so I missed a lot of the Cody Andrade match. And when it came back, it was Cody holding a golden shovel. Okay, so the feed did come back, at least here for uh, Chris. From that point on, I wasn't sure if I was having a fever dream or not. The table spot did nothing to help this. Both guys were still on fire during the pin. Hopefully the stream is fixed so I can go back and watch the main event properly later tonight and try and make sense of the little that I saw. I, I, I think you got the key parts there, uh, Chris. It's it's for you to uh, piece together. But yeah, it was uh, too dangerous a finish for my liking. Yeah, like, and I don't, I mean, not like, I don't have so much issue with like the dangerous finishes if you are able to maximize your value out of them. And that means promoting a whole event around like flaming this, flaming that, you know, like just to kind of do it from out of nowhere. I, when you're, when you're not expecting it, you're not attracting any new viewers for it. I, I just think it's a bit of a waste of the risk. We got a Kate from Montreal who says, after a couple of weeks of particularly strong shows, this one felt a little uneven. I'm all in favor of guys like Angels and Moriarty getting good offense in against big names because it reflects what often happens in actual sports. Teams and people that get taken for granted are often much tougher than anticipated. MJF deciding to drag Britt Baker into a locker room talk line is something I could have done without. I understand that Britt was cool with it, but it's just a questionable look for a company with some notable fumbles in the way they've handled their women's division. Would have been better to err on the side of caution here. That said, they did give us a very good women's match, and the TBS tournament is without a doubt the strongest thing they've done with the division in two plus years. 
I really feel that they need to give more d- definition to Cody's storyline right now. He doesn't have to be a face or a heel, but he needs some kind of arc or larger purpose. Right now, it feels like he's having the same feud over and over. A go-go, black, Andrade, with no real benefit or development. I'm all in favor of letting things evolve slowly and telling complex stories, but this feels like they're not moving at all. Uh Worth noting, I just saw this here, that uh, during the episode, uh, MJF did tweet out a photo of him and Britt Baker, and he just wrote, Britt Baker is not interested, as MJF is giving the middle finger, smiling mm. or smirking with uh, with Baker. Uh, great points, as always, from Kate. I... I mean, I, I I feel like, you know, we I might not be the only person here asking for a bit more clarity on what this Cody thing is supposed to be, what how we're supposed to feel about him. Um, and I think it's totally different from the Cena thing. Like Cena, to me, never wavered as much as Cody has. Um, he's just strictly, you know, always been babyface. Like <laughs> Cena's got the golden shovel. <laughs> Yeah, like he, they, they, like you never had him play around with like this type of thing. And I love the fact that Cody is playing around with the type of with with, with those reactions. But but the the rest of the match didn't really kind of feel that way. And it, it's always like you know two steps forward, one step back in 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 his storylines. Or is it the other way? One step forward, two steps back. I forget whatever the cliche is. Okay, let's do the final two here. Jay from Colorado. Above average show tonight with the standouts being Danielson, Angel, Soho, Statlander, and the Street Fight. The Miro segment was fantastic as always, and I'm curious where you see him going from here. Well, God, that's clear. I wouldn't mind seeing his feud, uh, him feud with Punk after the MJF feud. I found the Team Taz Leo Rush angle to be a little awkward. Something just feel, felt off. But I'm really enjoying the ongoing story of Hook always having a bag of chips to share. Yeah, that, uh, that's the storyline that does not get enough attention. People who share chips are among saints, and I'm convinced Hook might be the biggest babyface on the show. What do you think was all over Cody's back tonight? My first thought was a sunburn peeling, and then maybe thought it was sauerkraut. But whatever it was, I'm glad it wasn't flammable. Maybe it was something to prevent serious burns. <laughs> yes, Jay, I think you're right. <laughs> I don't think it was sauerkraut, but um, yeah, dude, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how good sauerkraut protects against fires. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, what, right. what sort of what sort of flavor of chips do you think Hook is passing out here? He seems like a um, I don't know. <laughs> that would determine whether he was a baby face or heel. Because if it was anything close to salt and vinegar, he is definitely a heel to me. Okay, is is this the part where I remind you I've never had chips in my life? Are you fucking kidding me? You said that. <laughs> what? I'm sure I've told you that over the years. I, I've never, never had-, had potato chips. Never. <laughs> Holy shit, dude! This is the <laughs> most shocking thing I've heard on this entire show. Yeah, it's uh, apparently it's you mentioned it before. Secret. Chat room says, but okay, wow. Yeah, Wade's just not listening. Damn, like what? Like you, like at a party, you never reach into a bowl. Like you, like what? Like I just, I look at them. I'm like, I'm not gonna like those, and just uh, I have n- n- zero negative desire. What to, to try? This. Oh my goodness. I'm okay, sorry. well that's great. Like, I mean, your your body's like you know probably thanks you for it. Uh, okay, I feel like we should end the show, but I'll read one more here from Muggin, who says the whole of tonight's dynamite felt a little lesser than the sum of. Sorry, I can't even continue. I'm just thinking about like you never having had <laughs> chips. This is <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, Shocked. there there was there was a, a school party once in like fifth grade. So the teacher came around and poured chips on like everyone's like napkin on their cha- on their desk. And I like had anxiety. I'm like, what am I going to do here? I can't eat these. I will not eat these. So when she turned around, right into the garbage. 
Oh my God. Wow. That, from that age, eh? Yeah. From that and young. I was like, this is, this is my life's purpose it's, to avoid what, eating these, these things. So how do you know you, you don't like them? Like, it's just the idea. Yeah. It's just the idea. Are you it's a like, potato I'm, fan? Uh, yeah, I, I, I will have potatoes, but not, not chips. Is it the texture? Is it the fried aspect of it? Like, I don't know. Salt. I can't tell you. Like, I'm never, I've never actually tasted them. Like, may, maybe I would love them, but it, it's too late now. Have you had like, like vegetable trip chips or something? Like, like some other fried chip like snack? I, I, I've had like nachos. Um, and yes. I, I have no problem with nachos. So I imagine it would not be, um, they're, they're that like nachos. different. Similar. But no, the answer is no. Are, I do you not, like nachos? I do like nachos. Yeah. I, it's, it's huh. strange. Do you like Doritos or just like no, nachos? No, no, I've not had Doritos. So anything out of a bag, you don't, you don't see. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's that's the cutoff. Crackers? Out of a ba- you into crackers? Never ate crackers in my life. No, like not even the. Um, what do you call those? Uh, crispers? No, no crispers. No crispers at <laughs> all. No crackers. Be- between a, sna- a chip and a and a cracker. But okay, wow, Pringles. No Pringles. No. All right. Breaking news. This uh, I feel like you're more disappointed than shocked. No, no, I'm not disappointed. I I'm just amazed how somebody can like go on, you know, 37 years in this li- life and completely avoid a chip. Like that's I think that's something to be proud of. It's uh it's a huge it, maybe that'll be my Twitter bio. Never had chips. You've never, never had, had chips. chips and you've also never what? There's something else that I I, I was equally shocked by. Uh that I've told you? Yeah. I don't know. Man, I, it'll come up in a few years. Okay, I'm sure it will, because you won't remember. <laughs> I've, I, I, I forget a lot, yeah. Last piece of feedback. I think we... Oh, is that it? it? We, we can't follow that. That's done. No. All right, thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in live. Thank you for the feedback. Um, man, we got rid of news with the idea of these shows would be shorter, and somehow we have like a regular-sized edition of, of the show, just chatting about Dynamite. And chips, you know, and like chips. this is what happens when you drop bombs like that, John. Never watch the show Chips either. Well, that I can join you in. No chips. Okay, we're gone. Goodbye. We're back on Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, myself and Brandon Thurston. And on Thursday night, all members at postwrestlingcafe.com will get MCU Later, The Great, Wei Ting, and The Inimitable, W.H. Park with MCU Later chatting episode three of Hawkeye with our special guest himself eric marcotte who will be on and maybe uh we'll get some uh some discussion about uh triller triad maybe wh will have seen the cody flaming table spot by thursday night so you never know what will come out of mcu later but i look forward to hearing you guys all chat about an episode i've not seen i expect a tweet from wh about this uh flaming table thing um by the morning without a doubt i am sure he will see it in a in gif form all right, uh, Way and I will be back together on Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time, youtube.com slash postwrestling. Go subscribe. It's a new month at the Post Wrestling Cafe. Great time to sign up. We're going to be doing a monster edition of Ask Away next Tuesday, a lengthy uh, mailbag question show. So hey, I look forward to catching up on those questions. La- one last thing. I want to give a huge shout out to Beans. Oh, man. Dude. This was awesome. Oh, this was amazing. God. This was like, okay, so people who listen to Rewind Away, which again, everybody, if you sign up right now, you can have access to to this week's Rewind Away number 100. 
So John like gave out this incredible story. Like you're full of great stories, John. You really are. But I, I hold on to them. You gave out this story of like the time when you were <laughs> you had a cast and you couldn't play clarinet. So your teacher made you play the tambourine by telling you to bang on the tambourine with your cast, and you ended up having pl- plaster dust all over. And so maybe, maybe that's what was on Cody's back. Pl- cast plaster dust from banging tambourine, perhaps. Yeah, but I put out a request to anybody who <laughs> listens to this story to draw it. And this incredible artist named Beans, who I don't know if he does this professionally or what, came up with this like. This this drawing of you at well, how old are you, John? Like twelve? This would have been four, f- thirteen, fourteen. Okay, you were he drew you at age thirteen, and it looks just like you. It expression. does not look just like me. <laughs> it looks exactly. I like look like you. the angriest little like punk kid you've ever seen. But th- this fo- this picture was amazing. It looks exactly like you. It is remarkable. Um, Beans, I've tried to get in contact with you to see what your Instagram is so I could at least tag you, but I will put it on my Instagram or on Post Wrestling Instagram whenever it's there. For now, you can. it's retweeted on uh, on our, 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 our own respective social medias. But, oh man, great job from Beans. Beans did a, a phenomenal jo- cargo, job. Cargo shorts? Did you have cargo shorts? No, I did not have cargo shorts. Um... <laughs> It, this thing looks nothing like me, but the, the spirit of the, the photo is very good. So uh, a great job by Beans. Also something I hate eating, but he did a great job, he or she, with this uh, this image. Do we, we, know gotta, the gender? we gotta Do we know the gender of, of Beans? Is Beans a... I believe Beans is a male. I believe so. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I need to ask. Well, they can confirm him or her. Great job on we, this picture. We got to come up with some sort of like, like some sort of bet. Or you have to have chips. No, you you <laughs> just want to come up with things to punish me. That's 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 where you start from. It's no. not it's not like there's some reason for it. You just would come up with a flaming table spot if you could, if it meant I was going through it. I mean, I would put up something of equal value, of course. Like, you know, it's, what, it, what do you hate? And why are we going to do this to each other? We each hate say, eating yeah. something. Why are we going to make the other eat it? Ah, you think I take it. pleasure in you being tortured? Maybe, I don't maybe. weigh. Oh, okay. I, I mean, it more, it's more for um, entertainment, but you're right. Like, it's, it, this is stupid. We're beyond this. We, we will never do this. All right. End of discussion. We'll play marbles. I don't know about that. Okay. Well, I got the scaffold episode coming up, so uh, I will report back. That's it, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Rewind to Dynamite, and we'll do this all again on Friday. <laughs>